you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real do you have a good social media like lead in here i don't i wish i could do an impression of marlon brando at the end of apocalypse now you know the, the horror the horror the horror but don't forget to like and share (laughs) that's as good a lead in as any welcome one and all to be real your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast where uh, every other week or so your hosts chance and noah that's me and my partner talk about three movies of a similar genre noah ballard how are you buddy i'm great how are you i'm doing fine that's uh, terrific we're gathered here to talk about some troubling films today, though, I think. I mean, some of you may be aware of the uh, the social media movement uh, for the past 10 years or so. Are you on the net? And I'm off the Facebook. Okay. Uh, have been off for a while. Yeah, for like a long time. Yeah. I mean, in the bigger sense, in the in the big sense, it was like, you know, a privacy thing and like the larger social commentary on like the theatrics of how one behaves in a public sphere like that. And the other one was just like a bad breakup and I like just didn't want to see certain people ever again. Sure. Understand- understandable. Um, but I do Instagram. Oh, you uh, ravenously. Oh, I, ravenously is a little overstated. All right. I don't post capably? like more than... Do you think capably? I feel like you're my m- brand's pretty... You're more than capable. Okay. What about you? You tweet a lot. I feel do like I you put a lot, lot of... Well, you put a lot of like pithy tweets into the world that then no one responds to, but I do the same, so yep. don't worry about it. That's about true. Um, so that pretty much runs down our social media relationship. Well, actually, and how much of it is comprised by just sharing this podcast? It's a lot of it. A lot of it. We Books and podcasts. So I felt like we needed someone with a little bit of credibility in this space. So Chance, do you want to talk about our interview later? Yeah, Emily Sundberg's going to join us. She's a Instagram influencer and a writer, photographer, and a social media editor for The Cut. Um, and we're going to talk to her in a little while about uh, Ingrid Goes West and and just what it's like to use that app to make your money, but still have some of the same misgivings that anybody who's remotely thoughtful about social media must have. So it's a good conversation that's coming up. As for the movies today, what are we talking about, man? We're talking about The Social Network, Ingrid Goes West, and Unfriended. That's right. So we're kind of doing social media horror movies with the stretch being Social Network, but slat, is it a stretch? Have, you, have, we, have we watched it recently? Do we need to stop by the Ethos Corner before we get into these? Sure. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. A little rider, Donnie. Donnie, a little rider. So I just got back from Houston, Texas, doing uh, Write Fest 2018. Set, um, they had housed it in this converted like rice factory that is now like visual artist space. what was the most fun thing you did? What was, uh, did you get off the beaten path? Well, I got to meet Justin Cronin. Who's that? 
who wrote The Passage, that like big vampire Michael Crichton-y thing that was like a big bestseller about 10 years ago. Oh. And I'm listening to it now on an audiobook. I had never read it before. Um, what do you the, think? Scott Brick reads it. Do you know this guy? No. He's like the he's like one of the bigger big time audio or uh, readers for audiobooks cuz he also okay. does the Michael Crichton book. Like he just reads like Michael Crichton with just such like a a sadness to him that's like it's just so good. So I've really been enjoying the the audiobook and I got to hear Cronin read uh so that was sort of my entry point into it so it felt like it made sense to stay in that stay in that space. Cool. What did you do this weekend? I've been pretty occupied recently uh, training up for a hosting gig at uh, OPB Music, hosting a new radio show in town, which is fun. Nice. Um, so that's been, took up a lot of my time this week, but I watched the movie Dark City with Friend of the Pod, Octayege Kozak, which is fucking wild. I was trying to describe it to you earlier, and I realized I just stopped in the middle. You um, just named the cast and then sort of trailed off. Well, because it's, it's like, um, it's weird to see a movie that like presages the matrix in like all these interesting ways, but is so like weirdly put together that like no normal person would like it. It's like weirdly smarter than the matrix, but so unappealing in so many ways. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's what Kiefer Sutherland and Jennifer Connelly, you said, and William Hurt and Rufus Sewell. We kind of, Octa and I were sitting around last night and we settled on it's like Kafka meets Fritz Long meets Raymond Chandler. So very arty and like very unappealing <laughs> to the, to most people. Sort of good bad sounding. I think I think I would have to give it a good bad. But yeah man, all's well over here. Well, we can we can circle back and give it a reappraisal on the uh, Rufus Sewell pod sure. coming soon. <laughs> okay, let's run. Let's talk first about Ingrid Goes West. Okay. So this is a movie that came out last fall, uh, put out by the indie studio Neon, um, that like didn't do super well in theaters, but I think a lot of people have caught up with it since it's been exclusively on Hulu this spring. In kind of looking around for a guest, like the sheer number of people on Twitter is like, have you seen this? While still ironically sitting on Twitter, um, is is pretty nuts. So hope you, that's where you can find this movie if you want to see it. It is... Uh, kind of a stalker thriller, a 21st century fatal attraction of sorts, uh, starring Aubrey Plaza as the titular Ingrid. Um, we, we open the movie with her... <laughs> what? <laughs> we, we open, open the with the movie with her macing a bride on her wedding day because <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't invited. Yep. Which is really how everyone should open their movies. Uh, from Citizen Kane... it's such a striking and sort of like it's an opening that like i bought into like it's a good first note for just how crazy this movie's like gonna get and i think adds this perfect dynamic of like this woman is capable of literally anything if the mood strikes her and then we go into a pretty like slow simmering story which is really like not all that thrillery. It's more like coming of age e. So I think that this first scene is pretty important, right? Uh, and you find out that she has maced this person uh, because they were like barely social media acquaintances, but Ingrid had become 
obsessed with her and was not invited to this wedding and freaked out. And then also like Ingrid's mom has just passed. That's kind of kept vague. Uh, but very quickly she discovers uh, after getting out of, you know, some kind of like state mandated intensive mental care, uh, finds the Instagram of one Taylor Sloan played by Elizabeth Olsen, who is a, a quintessential big sunglasses, wide brimmed hat, LA gal, who's just hopping from boutique to boutique uh, you know, posting throughout the day. And Ingrid, as the title suggests, uh, traverses westward to find Taylor Sloan and befriend her um, by looking at geotags and trying to bond with her over stuff she's done. Culminates, or this this first act kind of culminates, the get-in culminates in her kidnapping Taylor's dog and then forming something of a friendship and then there is the tension of whether this very unwell person will be able to sustain this illusion slash the question of what does she want it's all very it's all very creepy and then the movie sort of i would argue doubles down into the life of taylor sloan and how and sort of peeling back this idea of we see these people on instagram and they look so happy and they're like you know getting their tarot cards read and, you know, wearing big hats and buying stones and stuff. And you're like eating, and eating, avo- eating avocado toast. Right. And, but it sort of peels back, like how real is that? And in, I think a pretty, a pretty interesting and satisfying way too. That's also like not to remove from comedy that like can be kind of funny. Like I think, I would think one of the my my two favorite characters of this movie are actually the I think it's like the male supporting cast in equal measure. The husband of Taylor Sloan played by Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son. Right. Um is he ever Dan Pinto uh by O'Shea Jackson Jr. and you said that he's Ice Cube's kid? That's right. I didn't know that. Um and then Billy Magnuson playing Taylor's brother. That is such a fascinating character, too, that you take what is a sort of long-burning female friendship story and sort of weave these, like, weird men with their, like, weird (laughs) takes on the world just, like, hanging out. The couple that yogas together stays together. Hashtag perfect. True romance vibes. Hashtag perfect. Perfect. Congratulations. qualms I have about this film is that I think Aubrey Plaza is pretty brilliant. I think she's always pretty brilliant. But she, to me, is so inscrutable when I don't know exactly what the scene is calling for that I think that early scene is almost like admitting too quickly 
what she's capable of. I see what you're saying, but I don't agree with you. Like, I think just showing her, like, I mean, macing someone on their wedding day is, like, pretty fucking horrible. Right. But, like, it's also not, you know, murder or anything. You know, her life was basically fine after, but for both of them. So I think touching on, like, this is the jumping off point and, like, what if that's the low end like what's the top end kind of behavior (laughs) like was pretty compelling like because after i saw that i I had sort of only interacted with this movie in its uh its trailer which doesn't give away a whole lot about it um and i thought it was going to be a little bit more comedy than it is it actually like after seeing that opening scene i was like i I sort of thought is elizabeth olsen gonna uh, who's gonna end up dead right like, I thought that was what we were leading to. It's not quite what we're going for. Yeah. I agree. The The escalation is cool. I think, actually, my single favorite thing about the movie is uh, the editing and the pacing around Ingrid looking at her old friend Charlotte's Instagram, which is fairly basic. You know, the couple that yogas together stays together. I'm over here doing this. And then it's as though you're going from, like, a low grade upper to like pure cocaine when she finds Taylor's. It's just like, oh my God, Joan Didion. Oh my God, the beach. Oh my God, this. And it's, it's like she's like gotten the gateway drug of Charlotte has gotten her into like some really high level gram shit. <laughs> yeah. No, she's definitely ODing on the gram, which is funny. And cinematically, it's like well done. I think this movie, not to give it away too early, but I think of the three movies most seamlessly synthesizes like what the experience of like participating in social media is like. So I guess the point that I want to make though, is that I wonder if that opening scene lets the movie off the hook for an actual message about social media, because if you, you know, Ingrid is so dreadfully unwell that when I find myself being like, well, is there something insidiously phony about the about Taylor Sloan? I think the movie is always like kind of reality checking me by being like, well, Ingrid needs like real help here. You can't you can't blame the victim. But I and it's not that I want to blame the victim. It's just that I want some sort of indictment, however ambiguous, of like what Instagram does to everyone. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it. the movie aims for some message, like, between that and maybe, like, you know, Instagram just is now the medium for the kind of relationship these groups of people have. On one hand, you have, like, very attractive, very cool, very rich people. And on the other hand, you have losers who wish they could be them. And, sure. like, this is not, like, a new concept, but I feel like by putting the filter, if you will, of Instagram mm. there. Like that's go. the that's the way you make a pretty I mean, as you said, it's 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 of the ilk of um, fatal attraction or something like that. Right. You know? I actually think it's surprising that there there isn't more sex in this movie. There's an Ingrid uh Dan Pinto hookup that is again very confusing to me yeah that is confusing i mean i think it was confusing to the people but that's the thing you you sort of presuppose that ingrid is unwell yes like you think that she has it's because i think there's sort of two schools of thought when looking at her character because of the dead mother is that 
here's just a girl who's spiraling down because of this traumatic thing, or the other one being, does this person have like a chronic mental health issue? And I don't know where I land because on some level she's like, is a loving person. You know, like I think the fact that she indulges Dan Pinto's sort of Batman obsession in those intimate moments shows that she can connect with other people and sees that two way street kind of thing. But then there's like other things where like she just uses like his car or like that makes me think that she has no regard for human life. Well, let's zone in on that same moment. I also found myself finding, thinking that was a tender moment for the Ingrid character, but she has to seal the deal that night in order to bring him to the party the next day. So you think that's, you think that's, she's just playing it because she needs to, it's all for her end game. She had to do it. Otherwise there was no Dan after they'd all made fun of her for having no Dan. That's the thing, too, that's, like, so, I think, maybe frustrating slash entertaining about this movie is looking at her at Aubrey Plaza's face and trying to figure out, like, are you lying to me? Like, right. when you're apologizing to Dan Pinto, like, the only reason you're back is because you need something. Elizabeth Olsen is, is a, a, a privileged person, but also a temperamentally normal person who can just kind of, like, shut this thing down. And she's just like, you're being weird. What do you want from me? Um... And right. Aubrey Plaza cannot do that. Like the, I couldn't tell. What, so what do you think about the end of the movie? Is the end of the movie hopeful or is it the darkest ending in the world? It's definitely a cynical sort of ending. But maybe like, and I don't want to spoil it because I think it's worth seeing. Right. But I think at that point, at least on a narrative sort of character arc level, the ends do justify the means. Mm-hmm. Like, her goal was to become social media famous. Yes. You know, and she does, in a way, accomplish that. What Ingrid Goes West correctly presupposes, I think, is that really any lesson we learn in this life can now be turned into content. And that might be the wisest thing about it. But I think you may be almost giving it too much credit. Like, I think this movie has an interesting gimmick to it that Instagram does exist. But I think if you had made it about any, like, other thing, if you had made it about, like, you know, two young actresses, like, trying to break out and, like, one of them's, like, starting to get stuff and the other one hasn't kind of thing. Like, this is a very traditional story. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the medium is not traditional, I, th- I think the the message is pretty like it's not really breaking any new ground. Okay, let's talk. Let's tell people real quick how we rate movies on Be Real. There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings: good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment. Good Good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. (laughs) Or more recently, Get Out and Lady Bird. That we know of yet. Good Good movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That was the best movie I've ever seen. 
Bad Bad is easy too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician turned actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I'll pass. Or many Nicholas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. Bad Bad movies make chance say, I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or awards bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud. Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. Are there anything from flawed but charming Nancy Myers outings? I'm miraculously done being in love with you! To late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China, or Stargate. It's all in the reflexes. Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says, But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth. Ingrid Goes West. I'm torn on this one. I think it's a good good. I think it's a soft good good. Like, I really enjoyed watching this movie. And it, like, made me feel weird about, like, going back on... I was almost afraid to go on Instagram. Right. Like, after I watched it. Which I think, like, shows that it's a well-made movie. If it was able to bore into my consciousness in such a fashion. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good good. I'll, I guess I'll give it a soft good good. It's also one of these movies... What are you to- thinking? Like, it might be bad good? I think it might be bad good. I it's also I wouldn't be upset with you if you said that. Okay, I'll give it a bad good if if I have your permission. I just it's also one of these movies we haven't talked a lot about craft, but like kind of indie movies reaching a point today where they feel like they must be of all genres with like many influences. Like I wasn't sure how the comedy and the like drama quite fit together in this movie in the same way that I wasn't sure what Ingrid's intentions were. So we would digress into these jokes about like Joel Schumacher being the best Batman. And it was kind of like, well, this is funny, but like, am I watching Glenn Close in this movie? Because why are we talking about Joel Schumacher's Batman? Um, I'm saying that those moments of levity feel forced because the movie feels like it has to be like all things, like like sellable and memeable and being able to put on Instagram with some Batman branding, perhaps. Um, I'm going to give it a bad good so our, uh, you know, so our ratings are different on the website and it looks exciting and people click. <laughs> this wasn't the one of the best arguments that we've had, though. Nope. Let's move on to uh, how about a conversation with somebody who knows a little something about Instagram. <laughs> My best friend Taylor has been helping me explore my creative side. If you got lower, that would be better. You mean on the floor? Yeah. Thanks, you're the best. I need you to tell everyone you're my boyfriend. What is this? Why are you acting like this? You don't even like these people. I do like them. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's dope. (laughs) 
Our guest today is a photographer, a writer, a content creator uh, for places like The Cut and New York Magazine. You can find her on Instagram under the handle She Loves Everything, uh, talking about food of late, um, reviewing a lot of ice cream. Um, yeah, so that's that's what's new for Emily Sundberg. But what's even newer is that she's joining us on the show today. Hi, Emily. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Um, Thank you having me so let me start light first of all what's your um what's your most recent like ice cream revelation how long have you been on this kick and then what's your most interesting revelation okay so she loves everything started when I was in college as a side hustle I was sort of in this beginning of influencer life my freshman year Um, and then I got a job after I graduated I started um I was New York Magazine's first Instagram editor. So I was posting as much on She Loves Everything. And then it came back. I was in an odd hangover state with my friends and we were eating ice cream. And um, I decided I was just going to post a video review on my Instagram. And then it kind of took off and I was just playing around with those. So that's more of on the back burner now. But, um, you know, my job is on the front burner, which is working out at New York Magazine. Yeah. Back to ice cream for a second. Okay, um, we can go back. <laughs> I feel like in one of the most recent videos, I was going to ask you, I feel like I saw you eating ice cream with a fork. Is that something a total expert does or is that a faux pas? That's um, something that someone does who is impatient and gets excited. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, it, it's the same idea with like, that that's no different than eating ice cream from a pint, right? Like, right. why not put it in a bowl? Mm-hmm. Why not eat a spoon? Right. Tomatoes, right? Right. Yeah, you haven't waited an appropriate length of time it's for it to It's vehicle thaw. to eat it. Uh-huh. You got to make it happen sometimes. Sure, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Ingrid Goes West. You you wrote a, a little blurb about this uh, for the cut, along with several other Instagram influencers. I think last fall when it came out. Um, right. Anna Silman wrote this for the cut, and she spoke to influencers, including me, yeah. her coworker. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to like totally retread everything you said there, but I'm, I'm curious, um, have you, th- has the movie stayed with you at all since last fall? Or have there, have you thought of it at all in your life? You know, I went to um, Joshua Tree in January. Oh, yeah. And I know very few people who have gone to Joshua Tree and not Instagrammed it. It kind of seems like a place that, uh, it's a good place for Instagram. Yeah. So when I was there, I thought about it a lot and I thought that's such a perfect scene that they threw into the movie. It's just such like a, a thing. It's such a place. Right. Um, and now the real estate market is booming there and you got to wonder how much Instagram has to do with that. Mm. And just kind of being in LA, if you ever walked around Venice, it just, that movie captured it so well. Yeah. And they, the characters really did, it justice. Um, it's a little shocking how the stereotypes are sometimes obviously based on real things. Sure. For the for anybody who's not intimately familiar with the stereotypes, what are those that the movie gets right? Oh, you know, the breezy dresses, <laughs> the green juice wearing women, um, this blonde, big sunglasses life is made from the salt of the sea and barefoot Mm -hmm. dreams and stuff. Um, But, you know, if I lived in Venice, maybe I would talk like that and dress like that as well. 
Right. Yeah. You're just on the wrong side of the country for your life to be made from the salt of the sea. Right. Right. I live in New York, if you're listening. One of the things that you you pointed out in your piece that, that you liked about the movie that you felt you related to was Ingrid's physicality with her phone, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What yes. is your like physical relationship to your phone and, and, and how did the movie maybe get that right? I was actually just talking about this with a friend this weekend and he was asking because sometimes um, I don't know if you've ever talked about this with your friends, but right before you get a text, sometimes you look at your phone and you it's almost like a sixth sense. You know, it's coming and we don't really know what's happening with these frequency and these waves. But we were talking about that. How sometimes I don't know if that's real or if that's just coincidence, but. I think about that a lot. Um, but my my physical relationship with my phone, <laughs> I get anxious when I don't have it in my hand. And I would say a big part of that is because I use my cell phone more than my desktop computer for my job, yeah. working with social media and Instagram specifically. You know, Instagram's built to be used on a, on a phone, right. not a computer. So, you know, it would be like any any person who uses a tool for their job not having it. And then when you get your entertainment from there and you get your excitement from there and you get your triggers for any endorphins or whatever, of course you're going to have a really close relationship with it. It's so strange. If you look around at people walking outside, it's like it's always close to them. I was even walking with friends yesterday to dinner and I put my phone in my bag I was, it was just like a self-test. I'm going to not hold my phone while I'm walking because what's? why do I need it? I know exactly where I'm going. Right. And even that was a weird feeling to not have it in my hand. Yeah. Um, I've also had an iPhone for so long. It's like a weird part of sure. me. Sure. For the podcast audience, I should say that right before you answered that question, you held up the phone in your hand so I could see that it was right, right. there. In case you didn't know what a phone looks like. <laughs> right. I had no, but it was it was right there. So that was that yeah. helps answer the question too. You know, I've that's such an interesting observation, and I feel like I've had that moment too of when for a second you're not on your phone and you look around at everyone else and you're like, "What a bunch of weirdos! They look so strange." But then you're like, "But wait, I look like that every time somebody else looks up." Right. Yeah. Or or when my phone dies, mm. the amount of anxiety. I get. And part, part of that is work related. Yeah. And part of that is, you know, what am I going to listen to on my 15 minute walk? So wh- whether through your own experiences or through talking to your friends who make their living that way, wh- what is the, you know, what are the mental hurdles when s- something that you started doing um, to relate to your friends or just to get a, you know, very human need for attention matter, just something you were interested in becomes livelihood what are the hoops that you have to kind of jump through or think about I think um a lot people try to figure out why certain certain personalities or faces are getting business deals over other ones especially in the fashion world because I work with influencers a lot for work Uh um you know there's this idea of micro influencers which is very big now so people want you know, to hire somebody in the 25,000 follower range rather than the 200,000 follower range because they have a closer relationship with their followers and they're more likely to buy into whatever they're selling and trust what they're selling. Where like if Kylie Jenner is trying to sell you something, you might not believe that she's actually using it. 
Sure. But if the girl that's in your neighborhood who just happens to be Instagram famous is promoting something, you might trust her more because you see her around and, you know, she's, she talks about vulnerability more. Another thing that I've been realizing is um, people have become a lot more successful on Instagram the more they show about their lives. So the more vulnerable you get, the more you open up about how fucked up your relationship is, how you don't eat well all the time, not everything's perfect, you get sad too. This strange voyeurism leads to success on Instagram too, yeah. which is scary. It's like you used to want to follow this filtered perfect look to, to aspire to, and now it's like take off all the filters and you start getting followers. Post ugly pictures of yourself or like yeah. not perfect photos of yourself you get the followers, maybe have like a more edgy sense of humor and um, that kind of thing. And you get more followers. And I think it's part of that like sick voyeurism of like everyone turning into their own reality TV show. Sure. So it sounds to me like you, you feel unsettled by that trend. I mean, I feel unsettled by Instagram as a whole. <laughs> I spent so much time on that and it's how I make like it's my job so I've had to learn how to separate I've had to learn over the past two years more than anything like how to spend just time on my work accounts and right. you know when to really enjoy moments and not post about them and that's changed so much for me um, since starting this job so, so much. I wanted to get into that um, how, how, before, and I'm glad you brought it up. So how do you kind of, you know, in the flow of your life, how do you sense a moment like that coming on where, do, where you're almost like, okay, this is, this is just for me. There's, this isn't going out. Does it, how does that feel in that moment? Um, I think like two years ago, I probably would have figured out a way to capture it and you know make it perfect on instagram or snapchat whatever i haven't used snapchat in like a year now yeah. but i would have tried to capture it and push it out there now a lot of these moments i'll have like my like a real camera like a film one or a polaroid mm -hmm. or something because i know that i want it to stay and i know that everything in my library on my phone disappears yeah. um and i don't I don't really post about really special moments. And maybe like something beautiful, if there is something beautiful, like on a table or something, but like enjoying time with my friends or special people in my life, I've really started to not post that. And I feel a lot more in touch with the moment. And I feel like I've not, don't have as much to prove to people. Yeah. And that's just come with age too. Like being like a 19 year old versus a 23 year old. Yeah. And privacy, like enjoying the idea of privacy. You know exactly. You, you're you're anticipating all my questions. Um, did the, did the does watching Ingrid Goes West make you think about privacy? I mean, what what strikes me is that like, in some ways, Instagram is so strange, and social media because like, it's such a new way to communicate that like we haven't all totally agreed on the rules of like how to do it. Like, what are the mores? What are like the wild west? Exactly. Like, yeah. they're Everyone's trying to figure out what's okay, what's pushing the line, yeah. you know, even what, what's humor and what's offensive. And I think about, like, the Elizabeth Olsen character, um, 
you know, how does she conceive of the people who are following her in the movie? And she must think like, well, I have this unspoken agreement that they will not come find me. <laughs> but right, right. Um, absolutely. And, you know, she is she reminds me of a lot of people I know who make their money from Instagram, where it's that's your business. Yeah. That's the character you're playing. She's she's completely aware that that's the character she's playing and then she slowly kind of turns into it you see that when they go to her house and she has the curated art and you know the lifestyle but she's aware that those photos are supposed to be posed because that's why people follow her because she's beautiful and she's living a beautiful life and you know she gets she gets the sunsets on the feed yep um I think that there, I mean, I think there's an unspoken agreement amongst humanity that you shouldn't stalk people. For sure. Um, But I definitely know that there's restaurants or bars in in New York, at least, where you go and you know certain influencers or certain groups of people are going to be hanging out. Right. Yeah. I mean, it goes to that kind of weird. uh, Yeah, obviously, there's there's a spoken agreement, a law that you shouldn't stalk people. But there is that weird (laughs) middle space of like, you really can't control how you're seen much as you curate that person could think could think anything of you but i guess that's with people in real life too it's true. you know um it just makes it more complicated when you try to curate yourself do you or p or uh colleagues you know have like personal policies or philosophies about like what you respond to or who you respond to i feel like one of the coolest small moments of the movie or creepiest small moments of the movie I should say is when Abby Plaza is trying to get that first um like comment just right to get Elizabeth Olsen to talk back to her and she's just like mm-hmm. oh how great is that grain bowl and she like deletes it and retypes it like 20 times so how do you feel yeah. about responding to people I feel like that's more of um a DM situation I've watched happen oh, like okay. when people are trying to yeah whether they're trying to DM someone they want to take out on a date mm-hmm. or DM someone about inviting them somewhere or I've read DMs that I've gotten where I feel like people have probably deleted them and retyped them a few times because I just like people don't talk like that, you know, uh-huh. and Instagram is a pretty inform. It should be informal. Yeah. I was trying to think of other examples, but I really, I mean, we're doing social media horror movies for this podcast. So we're going to do Unfriended, which I think just takes place wholly on a screen where people right. are haunted. And then we're going to call the social network a horror movie because now it kind Did of. Did you see Wobble Palace? What is it called? Wobble Palace. No, what's that? It's the most accurate um, depiction of social media with people our age that I've seen so far. I'd love to. What's so accurate about it? Seat grabbing. Um, So there are certain scenes where they have half of half the screen is the movie and half the screen is what's going on on their phone. So you'll see someone just like sitting on the ground doing nothing, but there's so much happening on their phone. Mm. And um, it's, it's this, this open relationship and it has to deal with like Tinder dating and the idea of ghosting and people changing their personalities for different people they go on dates with. It was it was just really well done. Um, cool. I left really sh- like shaken up. It was Ooh. good. Like more than Ingrid Goes West. Like it it strikes more of a chord. You think? Hundred percent. Wow. All right. Well, this 
you're the optimal podcast guest because you came with an area of expertise and then suggested a movie that hits it even better. So yeah, really, really good. I'm not sure if there's going to be screeners or anything available, but I hope there will be. Terrific. Um, well, Emily, thanks so much for your time. I appreciated the talk. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hey guys. What are you guys doing? Did you guys buy your tickets two weeks ago like I asked you? No. Which seats are better, balcony or orchestra? <laughs> hey, Mitch, choose your buddy. Who is that? I just tried to hang up on him. Can we get rid of this person? I don't know. Is this here the whole time? It's just probably a glitch. Well, the glitch just typed. Who is doing this? This is Laura's account. Who would hack into a dead girl's account? Maybe it's Laura. So what movie do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about Unfriended. Okay. Saving Social Network for last. Unfriended right now. 2014, a movie made for a million dollars that made 65. So you kind of know everything. It made 65 million dollars? That's right. Oh, my God. What percentage of the population has seen Unfriended? Well, this is the thing, is that I feel like, like so many high school movies, it's almost like dumb to criticize it for this. These are not high schoolers. Everybody in the movie is like 27. <laughs> yep. But I think the movie and the actions of the movie, or no, how do I put this? The actions of the movie are done most believably by rowdy partying 18-year-olds, but the themes of the movie seem directed at 13-year-olds. It's unclear. It was unclear to me throughout the whole movie, like how old these kids were, like what the hell was like, like where were their parents? That should have been the title of the movie. (laughs) Where are your parents? Dude, yeah. Um, Are your parents going to hear you blending yourself to death? Um, so if you don't know about Unfriended, there's, uh, there's just one gimmick you need to know about is that the whole damn thing takes place on a laptop screen. Do you think it's better or worse to see this movie in a theater? Oh, it's gotta be worse. I had, (laughs) I had so much fun watching it on my laptop actually. Oh yeah. I watched it on my TV, my, my TV and it's, I like had trouble watching it. It's just, it's hard to look at push notifications are always appearing from the demon slash other people being texted, right? So it was very fun to screenshot things, send them to Noah, keep watching the movie, and then have Noah appear laughing at the screenshots right next to the demon being like, it's not a drinking game where you drink, it's a drinking game where you die. (laughs) Noah being like, this movie's stupid. All on my screen. It was cool. That's great. Okay, so this movie's like 80 minutes long. It takes place uh, like six people uh, on a group Skype chat and on the one year anniversary of the suicide of their quote unquote friend. (laughs) No, I can't watch me get through the synopsis. Um, There's a, you know, there's the blue blank avatar on their on their nightly Skype chat I guess. Yeah, they, it seems like their thing is they just like Skype each other and then like mute each other and then just go about their evening. But they're like who's this uh who's the blank who's the blank Skyper in here? And then our Yeah, who's our, the egg guy? Our heroine that's a generous word. Blair uh receives a Facebook message from Laura Barnes, the dead girl. Someone was going to make a movie like this eventually right with this conceit 
And you have to imagine. Maybe with the conceit, but like, I just, I can't get my mind around the visual choice to have the entire movie be like you staring at someone's laptop. Because essentially you are on this girl Blair's laptop. Like that's what you're seeing is her laptop. And she, yeah. And she like clicks on other stuff and like, she's got her private side message conversations with her, with her BF beyond how annoying and sort of boring it is to like watch someone's laptop screaming for 80 minutes as this like contrived thriller goes by is the fact that all of the characters in their little windows are horrible people and you don't get to know anything about them. So you don't care about them. And then the things that they've done that they're being punished for, um, you realize are like not a that big and be like really worthy of the punishment they get. Can you imagine being an actor in this movie? Um, yeah, I can imagine being offered like <laughs> this sort of movie and accepting. Yeah, sure. To just sit there and be like, "What? No!" and never move. Mitch, Mitch, <laughs> Mitch. Um, you know, like at, at one point, like I thought about suggesting to you the idea of like potentially putting our Skype sessions like doing a video podcast. I wonder if, because some podcasts do that. And then I watched this movie and I was like, fuck that. (laughs) Like, like even if people, whoever wants to watch, nobody wants to see that. No, no. Editing and thoughtfulness is, is good. Good for podcasts, I think. And movies, as it turns out, I guess my point was someone was going to do this eventually. And it's just a shame that the person who made it, didn't have like a a wryer sense of humor about how the internet is used. You know what would have been really funny is like a digression where um you know one of these fucking numbskulls is like <laughs> I think I'm about to die and like Blair is actually kind of like compulsively over on like looking at pictures of movie stars or something. You know that yeah. like our complete lack of focus. That would have been funny and like knowing. That's I think that's the Ingrid goes west, yes, but I think that's a a problem with this genre is I keep feeling the people who made these movies uh, are just not insightful enough about like how we behave and like what the net has done to us. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, th- I mean, I don't think its shortcomings are that nuanced. Uh, no, it's just not scary, not entertaining. And well, not let's, let's get to the heart of the matter here. Sure. You know, plenty of people, this is controversial. <laughs> Plenty of people have like lost control of their bodily functions at a party. Sure. That's just a thing. You have to, you know, sometimes there's that high school party where you shit yourself. And in this day and age, when everyone's got a camera phone, of course someone recorded a video of you shitting yourself. Right. That's just going to happen. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> But to imply that that other people saw it and their first instinct was kill yourself. (laughs) Like this, this social movement came out of that, that then led this girl to killing herself and feeling the need to haunt the people and exact her 
posthumous revenge on them. It, it's that is a it's just a leap too far. It just and that's the premise of the movie. Well, it becomes a punishment parable about people who cyberbully. But I think the only people who are that sort of cruel and thoughtless about like their social interactions are like 13-year-olds, right? Right. The, and that's the people who saw this movie because like no 18-year-old today would like find these the things these people are saying relatable, would find group Skypes particularly relatable, would find, you know, it's it's meant to scare kids into not telling their 12-year-old enemies to kill themselves. Like they're old enough to be experimenting with alcohol, but they're so young that like that mob mentality of right, like ritual right. suicide like makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Yes. If you are, um, you know, impressionable and self-serving enough to just like drop out suicide commands, are you also like drinking Pinot Noir from a stemless wine glass? And then like the brutal ways in which these people die are so much worse than having a video of yourself having shit yourself on yeah. the internet. Well, once the once, guy kills himself with a with like a, a magic bullet. Once you are a shit shamed spirit, come back to revenge and have enlisted <laughs> the help of Satan, the stakes are going up. Right. There's no. What there's is no Satan's like, IP address, by the way? I don't know, but he Probably can get onto any Skype call. Senator. Yeah. Okay. What if he just appeared like right now, like on our? <laughs> Not today, Satan. <laughs> We're trying to get through this that podcast. That was pretty trite, don't you think, boys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Don't you, right. fix, don't you think you missed a pretty overt read on that movie, yeah. guys? <laughs> what Did you have any like favorite like dumbass moments from this movie? I've got a couple. I just thought there was something amazing about how Mitch, who <laughs> is played by... Like what a guy in his like mid to late twenties who's supposed to be a guy in his like early teens, how just devastated he is when he realizes that his best friend has had intercourse with his girlfriend (laughs) who he believed had never had sex before. So there's this like, you can tell that he like is actively playing like this dual sort of, he's angry that like he didn't sort of get to deflower this person, but he's also like betrayed by his friends. And I thought what he came up with, which is just like pacing around this like five by five studio he's in (laughs) and just like getting his eyes progressively redder and wider is so fucking funny. My favorite moment relates to the same thing, which is where, you know, they're already playing Never Have I Ever and torturing Mitchell with the knowledge that his girlfriend and his best friend have slept together. But then of course the ghost has got to go send the video footage, um, which did not look particularly like tactful or steamy sex. Um, But as it's playing, as it, as it's playing and none of them can stop it. And Mitchell is freaking the fuck out. My favorite part is Blair yelling, Mitchell, no, don't read into it. (laughs) Oh, so good. Well, that's what's funny about that, because they, like, describe it, and I was, like, thinking, like, because they kept saying, like, oh, we were drunk, it was a mistake, and then it, like, cuts to, like, this room with, like, candles and, like, soft berry white playing, and they're, like, she's giving them, like, that. 
Yeah, and there's just like a slow, passionate sort of thrusting happening between them. And it's like, oh, God. Like, this is... They're liars. They're horrible people. Oh, my God. This movie is an unquestionable bad bad. No doubt. There is no reason anyone should watch this movie. It's hard to get through... I yeah, we spent three or four dollars on it each. That's enough. Yeah, I've, if you want to if you want to know what it's like, I can post the funny screenshot I sent Noah of like people <laughs> dying, and in the bottom left corner, very like prominently because it contrasts everything, is the Apple Dictionary logo is the only desktop <laughs> icon showing. So. Uh. Let's uh, let's move to a different weight class, shall we? Sure. Okay, let's talk about 2010's The Social Network. Which is, of course, not a horror movie, but as you as you pointed out before we talked, a, a, a thrilling, dire, certainly directed in the vein of one of the great thriller directors we have, David Fincher. Yeah, and I think it's more sort of horrifying watching it now. Of course, with sort of things that have come out with the way Facebook has dealt with privacy when you look at the sort of anecdotal evidence of how this network was established and it's it. So we can get into this in a second chance. And I sort of mentioned it before we started, but like there's a weird sort of men's rightsy kind of ness to it. It's sort of uh that it's commentating on or it's, that, well, that it seems that face, it seems that Mark Zuckerberg himself ha- his inability to connect with women seems to be a driving force in, you know, his business sort of vacuumin. Right. You know, like there's even this scene where he tries to apologize to Rooney Mara. And then the next thing he says is we have to expand. Yep. Yep. So anyway, so yeah, social network is the story of the formation of Facebook and the controversy that surrounded its first couple of years as a, as a ubiquitous, uh, social media platform. Right. Um, you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies chance. I remember the poster baby, which is a pretty outdated thing now. Cause there's billions and billions of people on the face space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't heard you call it that in a while. Um, but yeah, so we follow Mark Zuckerberg, of course, played by Jesse Eisenberg, a, a role he was born to play. I would say a role that I have not been able to see him out of in the next 10 years yeah he's been hand covering brews for for 10 years now uh-huh <laughs> um but i and then uh, andrew garfield is eduardo Saverin, his business partner who got like sort of screwed out of things he may or may not have been owed and then the the winklevi the winklevoss brothers uh played both by army hammer that's right in a pretty like seamless sort of movie magic thing pretty well done yeah and you have max Minghella in there as divya narendra who's again a guy who sued mark zuckerberg for saying that uh him and the winklevoss brothers started connect you and max Minghella is one of the most famous pop stars of our time right what do you mean oh i'm thinking of justin timberlake who plays sean parker why i can't believe you saved him for after max Minghella. <laughs> well i'm just going through the movie chronologically i hear you i'm with you but yeah then jt comes in and you know he takes sexy back oh yeah i mean the biggest contribution that jt uh and 
Sean Parker, the character he plays, who Sean Parker is no Justin Timberlake. No. Can we just be clear about like the real, real life? And, no, I'm clear, baby. I mean, like, you know, it's totally fine. Jesse Eisenberg playing Mark Zuckerberg, right. you know, at that time he still didn't, I mean, he still looked more human than lizard. Uh, but I guess <laughs> Le- Jesse's also gone that way too. Um, but yeah. So, and JT comes in to say, drop the, the Facebook. It's sexier. Yep. And yeah. Sean Parker invented Napster. He's a cool guy. He's very cool. So this movie is framed in uh, multiple depositions in terms of Saverin's suit and the Winklevoss's suit um, against Zuckerberg for stealing their idea for the Facebook and fucking them over on like dissipating stock options as the company expanded. Um, so that's where the kind of Fincherian um you know warp speed cutting comes into play right uh i think sorkin because there's a sorkin script of course and aaron sorkin west wing all that a tremendous Um, amount of energy is derived between the two of their chosen paces for filmmaking and film writing the first scene is like almost unintelligible right i remember seeing this movie and like the first scene plays and i was like what what are they saying? Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? We're not dating anymore. I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with you me? You are going to introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because he used to sleep with the door guy. The door guy, his name is Bobby. I have not slept with the door guy. The door guy is a friend of mine, and he's a perfectly good class of people. And what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wait. I'm going back to wait, my door. Wait, wait. Is this real? Yes. Okay, then wait. I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica? Yes. I'm sorry, I mean it. I appreciate that, but I have to go study. Come on, you don't have to study. You don't have to study. Let's just talk. I can't. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to... Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to BU. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I remember seeing it. I saw it at like a press screener initially in Omaha. With um, That was a different lifetime. It was a different lifetime. Well, I was still in college. and uh, Where was I? Yeah, in the movie. It might have been before. What was whose name? The long-haired film critic guy, Mike Holland. Yes, I was with. The, yes, I was with him. Okay. And we went to uh, the X Sarben. Oh, very good. Nebraska saw, spelled backward for the uninitiated. Yeah, so I saw it there, and I came out of that movie, and I was like, "That's the best fucking movie I've ever seen." It was sort of like a Christopher Nolan sort of rush. And if you don't mind, then came back to Lincoln and you and I had like multiple like fraught conversations about how it made us feel as college students at the time. Yeah. How did it this? make us feel? We sat outside the union and you chain smoked Yeah, I remember the conversations. I, I just don't remember. Thumbs. I just don't remember like what I thought. Oh, it, uh, it trended toward the miserable, <laughs> the making you feel miserable. Well, everything sort of makes me feel miserable. To be honest, I think it both made us, you know gave it perked up some fomo just that that because that that's one of the things the movie does successfully however flawed your judgment is as a 20 or 21 year old man in college is kind of the like 
wait, like college students are like doing stuff. They're making stuff. And of course you watch it today and like these kids are horrible and they're becoming horrible 32 year olds who are ruling our entire world. Right. But it's seductive kind of, I mean, I'm willing to say that was my flawed read at the time. Yeah. Like I remember being, yeah, I, I, I sort of, that this is all coming back to me now that I was sort of, not jealous of what they were doing, but jealous that they were just so like, they were doing it with such zeal. Exactly. And upon rewatching it now, being out of college for a few years, yeah, it's definitely a much darker read. Much. Like the, yeah, I I agree with you a hundred percent that like what I observed was not like, Oh, these are cool college kids like doing cool things. It was like, these are like horrible pre-adults learning some terrible behaviors Yeah, that were then, and then, because it's real people, we're going to see those things then manifest in huge, unpredictable ways. Like when the privacy of, you know, millions of Americans is extracted to potentially influence a presidential election. Yeah, and then you look at the guy who made the site and you're like, so what are you doing and what have you done ethically to solve this? And right. he says, and ethics, who teaches that class, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, <'cause> that's, what class? <laughs> that's the thing that this movie gets right. I mean, for as long as this movie has existed, eight years now, you can point at Jesse the way Jesse Eisenberg plays Zuckerberg, and you can point at real Zuckerberg and be like, that's not the same. I do not look at Mark Zuckerberg and, and find that sort of like venomous... Uh, intellect that ability to like parry and attack in that way but if you zoom out the point is that the kind of person who makes this kind of product is not emotionally equipped and then in their life has taken passes passages uh, equipping them less and less to like deal with the ethical moral emotional ramifications of facebook they do not care and whether there seems to be ill intent doesn't matter when somebody ultimately doesn't care. Because I remember seeing this and it was, what was cool about it was like, let's take what is otherwise like, you know, I mean, an important co- like uh, corporate history and like dramatizing it. But now it's like, let's look at how, you know, these ideas are made and they're made out of voyeurism and exploitation. I mean, like, this thing that our grandmothers now use to like post pictures of like their whatever book club stuff started as drunk college kids picking who was hotter from a database of photos that was stolen right. by the man who then created Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's weird too to watch Zuckerberg now sit in front of Congress testifying and lean crippled upon this idea that like look facebook was a company that started in a dorm room as though and i feel like that's what you uh, another thing that this movie kind of predicts which is that like these irresponsible ass kid like young men who are sexually frustrated and mad at women and have no connection with people outside of harvard um are yeah they're they are not ready even now to give up the, to, to step back and see the big picture. Right. What well, sort of like opened up these strange conversations too. Like, I don't know if you read that, um, that New York times op-ed that people were upset about earlier this week about the redistribution of sex 
and this like these somewhat antiquated ideas uh, that this writer was putting forward that some fringy philosophers has put out there that you know if you just like create if you basically like hack human intimacy and like create sex robots or like proliferate sex work in like a male focused way that like men will just be happier and less likely to like run cars into people on the street. Mm, That makes me pretty bad. Right. And it's like, he's not agreeing or disagreeing with it. He's just sort of putting the idea in front of you, but it's almost like the same thing with Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, I know you didn't invent fake news, but like, why did you invent something that allowed people this thing like why didn't you think responsibly and you even in the most basic form of facebook responsibility was never part of it it was just and for better or worse that is the best answer to some of those questions is like if it started in a dorm room it's still in the dorm room facebook Mm -hmm. in many ways i think uh great philosopher ian malcolm is quotable here you were so focused on whether you could, you didn't ever stop to think whether you should. And then you, you packaged it and you, you patented it and you, you stuck it on a lunchbox and, and you want to, you want to sell it. You want, you want to sell it. <laughs> You've basically been covering things about the movie that maybe the movie doesn't even know about itself that have aged particularly well, which is or things that you cannot look away from when you watch it. Now, I think there is a lot of, minutia in here that kind of makes me say so what a lot of the i mean it's entertaining and it's certainly beautifully put together and i really like army hammer in this role because he needs roles like this to pop um but do you think he found what he was looking for when he went away from his brother and went to italy and had sex with that young boy. Right. When Cameron played the Lone Ranger and, and Tyler. Went <laughs> yeah, to Cameron played the Lone Ranger and Tyler went to Italy. And what if there are with... two army hammers and one of them's just really untalented and that's the one who's in like Man from Uncle. And then they just, they meet for the holidays and they're like, I wish you stop, would stop doing all these commercial roles. So- and it's like, look, look at you doing a, you know, Andre Asaman adaptation. I'm 6'5", 220 and one of me's not that talented. <laughs> Um, oh man. Anyway, I find the sort of like legal back and forth there. I mean, I know they're going from the source material and it's Sorkin catnip. Um cuz god does he love any kind of like proceedings. Well, the, the the legal stuff is after the book came out. Oh, well, fine. For the most part. Um but I don't find I that's where I wish the movie would maybe double down more on building out the Eduardo Mark relationship or, you know, doing a few more interesting things with Sean Parker. Like that's part of the movie that I think even now does not feel timeless. Cause it's so specific to like this legal battle that I don't care that much about. Right. I still find the legal drama of it pretty compelling just to show like how these cases were, made and unmade. Um, But I think those moments are like funny enough already. And like, there's just so like, there's so much humor in the scene, you know, with the, the Jewish fraternity doing Caribbean night. Oh, no doubt. You know, and there's not like a single black person there. It's just Jewish men and Asian women. Sure. That's, but that's not what I'm talking about. Those are like the good scenes. I think the scenes I think have aged well. So what don't you think has aged well? Mark sending them 41 emails and not saying there was a problem with Facebook till the very end is 
is just kind of like to me a a shrug over Wiki, over like Wikipedia facts at this point. Those details of creation just like don't have that much meaning to me. I mean, it, it's it's more the it's more the hot or not stuff that I think has a bearing on that. Like I don't feel any one way about the Winklevi like taking an L and then taking another L. Right. Well, I mean, you have to establish like that ambiguity of whether or not you feel Mark stole Facebook from the Winklevi. Mm-hmm. But I love the Max Minghella, like, I won't be free till Thursday. <laughs> no, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's well made and watchable. Like, this movie is no surprise, it's getting a good, good for me. I'm just thinking, sure. I think about other really good Fincher movies, like Zodiac is my favorite Fincher movie. That's a movie where the, the detail uh, and the obsession over the most granular facts lines up with this sort of theme about, like, yeah, you can obsess, but like that will get you nowhere. That this is not an exit. And this movie sort of like is very excited to be both like a time to kill meets Citizen Kane. It's like do those two things go together that well? But then I think he's just so good with people and with like whereas Ingrid is sort of alienated and ostracized by the filmmaking itself in some moments, especially when she's like in that house by herself at the, uh, alone at the end. I felt like, you know, we never really get that like Howard Hughes moment with yeah, um, Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he's never peeing into a jar. Right. You know, he's never super weird. You can always kind of... he. He is sympathetic, unfortunately, in a lot of the movie. Because, like, he doesn't have his father's million dollar, $100 million law firm's, you know, retainer lawyer to, to work for him. He is, there is sort of that nuance about class in there that I think it may be. Or maybe it's just, like, a little afraid to talk about Mark the Human. I think it might be. I don't find him particularly... Sympathetic. I think moments that are missing in some ways because of the Eisenberg performance. One of the things you've discovered about him since this movie, yes, he was made to do this role, but he's not a versatile performer at all. Um, oh, you don't think he's compelling as the magician guy from uh... from Now You See Me Too? Um, <laughs> of course. I... What if the one of the first movie was just Now You See Me Too? That'd be great. <laughs> um, I'm looking for that moment more depth in the Eduardo Mark relationship where Eduardo is like reaching to him as he does so many times. Mark, listen to me. Mark, can't you see this? I'm looking for the moment where like Mark just can't And he like, he can't connect. I see two hours of Mark won't. Uh, and then sort of a misdiagnosis of his character by Rashida Jones at the end. I don't think that line has worn particularly well. I'm looking Which for, one? I'm looking for Mark can't. Um, you're not an asshole. You're just trying to be. I don't, that's not my read on this character. But then there's also the, the parallel line from the beginning. That's sort of what I'm talking about in the granular sense of Rooney Mara saying, you're going to think that girls hate you because you're a nerd. They're going to hate you because you're an asshole. Yeah, but I think Rooney's right and Rashida's not. Right. No, I think, I think you're right. But I don't know. That the, do you think Rashida's speaking for the movie or do you think she's just speaking for this character's like weird misread on him. Cause she's so taken with him. 
I don't see why uh, second-year law associates' misdiagnosis of Mark Zuckerberg's character would be the last line of the movie. I think in some ways the movie would like to endorse that point about the character it's built. But I think that's not what's here. But I think that's Sorkin. I think Sorkin kind of like goes nuts for Mark Zuckerberg. And I think Fincher is like, what are you... I mean, I'm going to direct this movie because it's fascinating, but like... What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> like, this man's a scoundrel. Right. And I, I know your script celebrates him, but I'm going to do everything in my power to undermine that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and God, I mean, the, that, ro- that London rowing scene, un- unnecessary as it is narratively, is just like, that's where Fincher's like, Sorkin, could you get out of the way for like four minutes, please? Uh, oh my god, it is such a like Fincher bait. It is unbelievable. It's like uh it's like Peter Berg with like a slow motion helicopter <laughs> shot. <laughs> exactly. Uh and then this it's one of the best it might be the best soundtrack of the century. I mean it's Oh yeah. It's incredible. Well, it's nine inch nails, it's great. The uh <laughs> I'm very struck by the fact that the soundtrack is so good that it allows Fincher to direct scenes that we've seen a million times, like the like the now we're young people who have money toast montage. But because the Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor have this score that's just like underneath it all that's like coming up from the floor and fincher never devolves into like flash bulb bullshit like they're hitting a beat that you recognize really well from like shit like the bling ring but hitting it in such a more interesting like pit of your stomach way Fincher's really good at doing like that heartbreaking shot. Like he should have done, he should have worked with Mitch from Unfriended in <laughs> playing, playing the two feelings of you know, n- you being the only virgin in your relationship, and then also the virginity taken by your best friends. Mm-hmm. Because the way he like does Rooney, like the way that Rooney Mar like does that like face at Mark when she's just like so like done with him right you know it's such a beat that has to be drawn out with i think like a a good director because you can see it all of them have sort of that moment where they're like fuck this right you know and i think that's that's also the appeal what's appealing about mark zuckerberg is what's appealing about facebook you know, you sort of can't look away from, because he's always going to, like, sort of stick it to, like, someone who needs to be stuck it to, like a, you know, an old stuffy lawyer or these, like, brawny, like, white, privileged guys or whatever. Right. But then, much like Facebook, you know, it gets, you realize, like, what's behind it and the vitriol there. And it's just like, I'm out, bro. Let's rate this. I think it's a, I think it's an easy, good, good. I think, um... I think I was just not, I'm in some ways more interested in it than I was eight years ago, but I don't, I'm not as taken with it. I'm not as charmed. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. I'm not as charmed by it. It's not as cool of a movie as I remember it being, but I also think it's like maybe one of the better like biopics out there. Sure. You know, or best sort of memoir y. Yeah. It is not... fearless and kind of surprisingly incongruous, but that's part of its fearlessness too. Yeah. I mean, it's great to watch. 
It's so much fun. Great performances, great dialogue. You know, yeah, well-made, fun, love it. Good, good. All of these movies made me think about how social media and, like, using it, you know, in healthy ways is all just dependent on uh, people regulating themselves when no one is watching, uh, whether it be drugs or alcohol or porn. Um, you putting porn on your social media? No, 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 no. But th- those are all examples of things that people cannot self-regulate. Yeah. Like, if people left to their own devices without the social contract of, you know, being on the subway with their brethren, um, it's not going to go well because people don't, they do not do moderation. And, like, that's the sad thing about social media, I think, is, like, people have all kinds of realizations about it. You People, people who've created it. Um, but they don't, they don't stop themselves because you don't have that immediate incentive to. This is a dark category for me. Yeah. No, I definitely, like I said with uh, Ingrid Goes West, like I had trouble like being on Instagram for the rest of the evening because it felt like very, not quite, the word's not vapid, but it's almost like a more aggressive vapidness, like a more active, like like my soul's being like sucked into my phone <laughs> yeah. to like, to be, to attempt to fill the, the hole that is there, I guess, just in the internet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you, the two of us have a pretty healthy relationship with social media. I think I do okay in practice. I think it's pretty fraught emotionally. Yeah. Sarah has way too many Instagrams. Like she posts too many? No, but she has, doesn't she have like, she's like three of them. Oh, I think some of those have been abandoned. Oh, it's like wandering through a ghost town. Which means that they're probably coming back to haunt us. <laughs> Yeah, do you think one of them, do you think the pasta one's going to, like, come back and... (laughs) Spaghetti about it. Return. (laughs) Return. How many times did she post on that thing? Because I think I only commented twice, spaghetti about it. Yeah, I think there's maybe, like, 20 pasta dishes on there. So I'm sure that'll be, like, 20 circles of hell for us. I'll go back and comment spaghetti about it on (laughs) on the remaining 18. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Okay. Well, folks, it's very important that you find us on Twitter and Facebook to like (laughs) the show. (laughs) We need you to love us. Um, You can do whatever you want. You don't have to do that. Maybe you're just like having coffee with a friend and you go like, do you like movie podcasts? Right. I've been hard pitching like to people. Like they think sometimes I'm joking because I do like my jokey voice and then I'm like, I go to straight and I'm like, no, no. I'm deadly serious. I kidding. do have a podcast called Be Real. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can listen. If you are feeling a bout of technophobia coming on, download the MP3 from SoundCloud and listen to it on your iPod Classic. Whatever you need to do to get back to your roots. Um, yeah, load it up onto your Zune and uh, plug out, it into your... Get out there and walk around. Yeah. Smell the matrix all around you. Uh, but thank you for listening, folks. <laughs> and thank you to Emily Sundberg for being a part of this uh, sort of uh, emotionally laid bare <laughs> show. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a fun one, buddy. Yeah. I feel like it's okay that I missed therapy last week. Oh, yeah? This did it for you? I, I've gotten everything out that I needed to. Okay, good. Uh, I will talk to you next time. Until then, buddy. Eventually the dying man takes his final breath. 
Verse checks his news feed to see what he's about to miss. It occurs.